So welcome to today's episode. Today's episode is central to every podcaster everywhere. And it's also <laughs> central to With You podcast. You know what it is? What is it? It's language. Without language, we wouldn't have podcasts. Welcome to With You podcast. I'm David. And I'm Tara. I'm a marriage and family therapist and professor. And I'm a birth doula and educator. And we're married to each other. We've raised four kids. And we're in professions, as you see, that deal with coming alongside people. Right. So in this podcast, we're going to share what we've learned about relationships and life transitions. We'll do that by sharing our own experiences, by interviewing people who have a great story to tell. Mm -hmm. And we've got some expert interviews to, to give us some even better information. It's going to be so good. Let's get started. Please join us. You use language and all of a sudden we create a picture, a picture in our head. Yeah. Language is driving how everybody's thinking and what they're picturing. And we're wanting to talk about the use of language and how that's central to that. And it's a it's a huge topic that could be like a four hour podcast. We're not gonna do that to you. We did a presentation on this years ago, but it uh, we it was hard to boil it down. There's so much that we get excited about about language. Before my job as a doula, I was a copy editor. I love words. Yeah. Yeah. And I love getting into the nitty gritty. We'll give you an overview of what we think about why words are so important in relationships and, and life transitions. Yeah. And so maybe we'll start with a, a kind of an idea that what we grow up with uh in terms of our culture, our family, region of the world, that really shapes the words we use, the language we use, and and then kind of shapes how we think. And I have a story, and I am a bit of a nerd, so this is going to be, a, you know, I have a citation and everything, but there's a, a researcher that researches language and meaning, and her name is Lara, L-E-R-A Borodinsky. And she wrote about language and meaning and how it shapes how we think. And, and she doesn't exercise. So I'd, I'd like you to do this exercise. And I'm going to watch Tara to make she, sure she does it. I'd like you to close your eyes. Got it. Okay. So with your eyes closed, I'd like you to point north from where you're sitting right now. Oh, my goodness. See, the problem is you don't know if I'm correct because... <laughs> I don't know which way is north. Something about you is that you're a little directionally challenged. I am so I am pointing north because I know the directions of my house. <laughs> but if we were outside, it might have been a harder exercise. Yes. And most people, when we do this exercise, have no idea which direction to point. And uh, Dr. Borodinsky talks about an Aboriginal tribe in Australia where their language is all centered around the cardinal directions. And so if you had a five-year-old girl blindfolded from this community, you tell her to point north and she could do it automatically. And the language shapes her awareness, what she attends to, and is just naturally able to think and do those tasks because of the language usage that comes out of because the culture. How do they, so how do they use the cardinal directions in language? So instead of like saying, oh, Tara's sitting right across from me and I point, I say, Tara's sitting east of me. 
I don't know if that's true or not. That's correct. Oh, because I God. just pointed north, so <laughs> I gave you your your cardinal directions. And, and quite frankly, I know then if north is up, it spells we west there and east, go. and that's how I figure out the directions. Yeah. But for uh, for that uh, that culture, they would say everything is oriented around direction. So people are southeast of you, or that uh, that tree. You need to go mm-hmm. to that tree that's northwest of where you're standing right now. So everything is directional in terms of what do you need to attend to? Which direction do you need to go? And so then you start thinking that way. And that's how you, that's how you see life. That's the information you take in. Mm -hmm. So language really is this uh, meaning creating, reality creating, thought process creating. And we're all born into our own cultural language, but there's regional differences. There's family use differences that can shape the way we think about the world. But in a bigger picture sense, it it can shape the way we think about the world, the way we think about ourselves, the words that we're called or the way language is used in our families at the very beginning of life. I mean, we start to learn language before we're even born. What? It's really cool. One of my favorite things about being at a birth um, is seeing the moment that a dad realizes his baby knows his voice hmm. right after they come out because, you know, the, the partner that, that's not carrying the baby has a harder time feeling connected or feeling like they know who this little person is. That's true. But the moment they come out, uh, if they're over being measured on the warmer, I tell the, the dad to go stand near them, hold out their hand to them, say some words to them. And sometimes they'll stop crying and turn their head toward their dad. And it's a really cool moment of knowing they're comforted by your voice. They know your voice already. Mm. Um, and studies have shown that babies uh, react to certain songs that they've heard while in their womb. They start to become familiar with the language that they're being born into. So, so it starts before we're born yeah. and then it shapes us as we grow up. We learn words in our language that shapes even the, the form, the shape of our palate is formed by the type of language that we're learning. Yep. And so it shapes us physically, that's, that's socially, remarkable. mentally. Mm-hmm. I totally get it. As a dad, I remember feeling not as connected and that kind of power of um, recognition and it made me feel connected that the baby would recognize my voice. And I think that's the next thing that language really helps us to connect to others like that baby in utero, recognizing people's voices. There's the actual learning, but then there's the connection that happens there. Communication is the the key really to connecting with other people. And it's not just communicating. It's the how. Yeah. Words are really important in how we connect with people, how that communications received and how it's how it's sent um just thinking about some of the one of the cardinal rules in our family when we travel is always to learn the important words in another language that's right so if we travel we always learn before we leave we learn at least hello let's see how many how many hellos please. can we say right now oh. No, let's not, <laughs> not that. test that's each not other. But hello is obviously the the way to start communication <laughs> with somebody. Yep. Uh, please, mm-hmm. thank you, and then of course, where's the bathroom? <laughs> and maybe cheers. <laughs> yeah, and I'm hungry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, uh, and yeah. The then there's also the nonverbals, right? Language is not just words, but nonverbals. Well, and you I always know, have said you can't not communicate. You cannot not communicate. That's so, right. right? I, I work on learning which hand signals are not okay to make sure that I don't do that because <laughs> that's also a relational We've piece. all made some mistakes oh, in other yeah, cultures yeah. with hand gestures. Hey, everything is A-okay. <laughs> read, read very Ooh, differently yeah, somewhere else. Yeah. 
So, so learning uh, those things, it's okay where we come from, but it means something very different somewhere else. That's a really key concept for yeah. communicating, even in our own family relationships, because even though we speak the same, we speak English and we grew up in similar circumstances, words carry different meanings to different people. Yeah. I've, I've had friends in other cultures where the English kind of offensive words to us don't mean, they're just sounds to them mm -hmm. and don't mean anything. And so they'll say it and say kind of a really offensive word and I'll be shocked. And they're like, I don't, just I, I, why just are you upset by that? Uh, but then if I, if I reciprocate and say a really offensive word in their language, um, they're like, oh, I get it. And so there's this kind of meat language in and of itself separate from meaning and relationship is a, is a weird thing. It's just sounds and signals, but the relational piece really is so, so important right. in connection. And that's, what's really hard as a parent is realizing that the words we use with our children carry a lot of weight and help shape who they are and yeah. what they think about themselves. So we both feel, we learned, you know, we lived and learned this as we raised our kids and, mm -hmm. and, and, and helped each other. <laughs> yeah. I did air quotes made, there. Right. We helped each Can't other with our language. Quotes. Yeah. And I know, I'm sure we made mistakes. We could, we could have another podcast and our, have our kids tell about all the mistakes we made. Oh, why don't but, we just tell our own mistakes? <laughs> I don't want our kids to. Yeah. But what we've learned about labeling and, and using words um, about each mm -hmm. other and about children is really important. And I see that all the time in births that I attend in just the words that somebody uses in the birth room, even about the child who hasn't been born. So yeah. a, an example is, um, you know, when, when somebody's in the hospital in labor, they're hooked up to monitors that are reading the baby's heart rate. That's telling something about how well the baby's doing during the process mm -hmm. of labor. And even that is open to interpretation, what yeah. that means about how the baby's doing. But often the nurse will say something about that or have worries about it and sometimes attribute a personality trait to the child based on the heart rate. <laughs> so they may say to the parent, oh, your baby's being so stubborn because the, the monitor can't pick up the baby's heart rate oh, sure. for whatever reason, usually because of the fault. position that yeah. the mother's in. Yeah. But the, they may say the baby's being so stubborn. And I understand from the nurse's perspective, they're trying to just add some lightness to the, the room, sometimes not lightness, but some some sort of um, giving the baby, a, you know, a yeah, personality, a voice. A voice right. Uh, but I see I see the end result of that sometimes when I, I'm talking to the parent weeks after the baby's been born and they they still use that attribution, they may say, yep, you know, Johnny's stubborn. He's always been stubborn, even before he was born. Mm. So that label, even though it was lighthearted and it had nothing to do with the the intentions of the child, yeah. it becomes part of their story. So those words carry a lot of weight. They do. It may or may not be true, but the language, all of a sudden that child is that person, that yeah. trait. I know you always helped me uh, when occasionally I would say, oh, you're a bad child. Or I, I said a kind of an essence. You never said that. I would say, what's wrong with you? <laughs> yes. Typically it was, what's wrong with you? And you would just like, Are, is there really something wrong with him? You would ask a gentle, and it was really gentle. It wasn't sarcastic. It was really gentle. Do you really think that? And it was really kind of emphasizing, are we speaking about the personhood, the person mm -hmm. of that child, or are we talking about, oh, that behavior is a problem, or, you know, that was really, some, that wasn't a great idea to do, right? We can kind of talk about, but that takes intentionality as parents to think about, 
oh, I really want to focus on this piece, but it probably comes from our experience in language and our families that we grow up in. Exactly. I was going to say, it, it, the intentionality is hard enough creating new patterns, but it's undoing the old ones in our brains that are really hard. Yeah. And so hopefully just starting this conversation gets you to think and it frees you up to be intentional with language in a different way and be gentle with yourself. We're going to talk about meaning. Uh, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? I have no idea. <laughs> I've been What's searching. What's the meaning of all this? <laughs> That's why I went to grad school was to try to figure out life. And I'm still in grad. I'm never going to graduate. Is that why you went to grad school? <laughs> no, no, no. I went to grad school to have a profession and help people and, you know, all the right answers. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about meaning a bit since that's one of the cornerstones of kind of how we think about covering topics that meaning is central to all of life. Right. This is kind of the core, core concept for yeah. everything. Yeah. Basically, why are we here? <laughs> yeah. The That big why question, kind of meaning making of uh, why does this happen? Why are we here? Uh, I, I like how you were talking, we were talking a little bit earlier about development and the different stages of development are kind of like stages of meaning. Right. Making. I was asking you to remember when, at what age do the kids start asking why? Because, you know, at age two, their favorite word is no, no, because they're <laughs> learning that their will is different than yours. That's right. And is it three? They start saying why? Yeah. Why? And you why ask is the sky when blue? you're at home with a child, you answer that why question a million and more a times. Million and one <laughs> yeah, I was, times. Gonna, I was trying to think of some <laughs> giant number that. Number. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's interesting that we don't necessarily have an answer to that. That's developmentally appropriate. Like, why is the sky blue? Uh, mm -hmm. You know, we can talk about light refraction and all of that, but it's really because I say so. I mean, a, after frustration, there's a bit it of... it just is. Right. The authority says it's this way and just embrace it. Mm -hmm. So like at age three, age four, you're asking why, and it sticks with us. Of we're trying to figure out what's going on with me, what's going on with others, what's going mm -hmm. on around us. Why do we, um, why do we eat spaghetti on a fork rather than just slurping it up. <laughs> I would love to slurp yeah. it up. <laughs> well, maybe you do. Yeah, maybe I do. Um, but I, I do think it shows that we're built that way to know why we're here, to know a bigger purpose Yeah. than just, oh, I do this and I, this is how things are every day. We want to know why is this happening? Who am I? The bigger questions. Those are some <laughs> deep questions and I think it's a, it's a challenge to answer them. But the, for me, the starting spot is my faith that that's the that's the organizing principle that's the meaning making that makes sense it helps me understand who i am understanding that there's a, a god who is bigger than me who loves me that then helps me understand a meaning outside of myself as well as then where i'm located in that meaning right and i think it's been it's pretty clear that people who are tied into something bigger than themselves usually have um they're coming from an anchored place yeah. in, in general. And that's a shared meaning that we have. Uh, we share that same faith. And that's partly what drew us together. Yeah. But it's, um, it's helpful individually for us to think that our value doesn't come from our relationship, that our value comes from who we believe we are tied to that meaning. Yeah. We were created to be. And so coming from that sense of, of value and sense of why am I why am I on this earth? What is my purpose? Helps us have an individual anchor that doesn't need 
something else to give us value. Yeah. I, in talking with couples like doing premarital or couples that are kind of living together and wanting to go deeper, we start out at that place of what's, why are you in this relationship? Is it, you're in it to get something out of it for you? Um, you know, we've talked about the other completing that person. What's the, what's the meaning? And for us, it's, it's really freeing having a meaning that, okay, my relationship with you, how I love you isn't conditional on what you do. Uh, it's really a function of my relationship with God that frees me up to respond. And so it's both kind of what goes on for me and my meaning making and how I live that out. And then it helps when we both share that. Um, right, right. So it's helpful for everyone as an individual to ask what is my why? Why am I here? What am I trying to accomplish? What's my goal as a person? What am I, how am I trying to grow? I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always fascinated by World War II. I think there's lots of things about suffering and about uh, questions of why. And, and one that kind of bridges my interest in World War II and psychology is this idea uh, that Viktor Frankl brought in. So uh, you're familiar with Viktor Frankl. Sure, tell me. Oh, good. Oh, I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> so Viktor Frankl was an Austrian neurologist and psychologist. But before that, he was uh, in a concentration camp. Uh, there is in Stadt, I think, Nazi concentration camp in World War II. And he noticed that people that didn't have meaning, didn't have purpose, the idea of getting up and doing something the day, even if it's menial and painful, that they tended to die quicker, they didn't thrive. And people that had meaning, had purpose, entered the day with, I'm going to, I'm going to do this, were able to survive in difficult times. He wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. It's his most popular one. One of the quotes was, if we have a why, then we can handle any how. Uh, mm -hmm. and that if we have a meaning, then we can embrace what's going on. And I think that's, that's the reason we look for meaning so much. We look for that. Why is then that guides us in terms of how, how we respond to even the most difficult times. Right. I mean, it overlaps a lot with our ideas about perspective, big picture perspective. And, um, but it has to do with what is, what's my purpose here. Yeah. And you're saying people who have a purpose tend to, to do better with the challenges and the hard things in life because they have a reason for it. I a bigger love how picture. You put that. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds so much better out of your mouth. No, I mean, those stories are so interesting. Yeah, I just want to kind of drill down what we're talking about with individual life purpose yeah. because it's it's about purpose and it's about meaning, but I want to make sure we delineate the difference between meaning and value. So I think the danger of thinking about meaning is sometimes people attach their meaning, thinking they're attaching their value to to what they're doing. One way that we st stay grounded in life, a, a common purpose for us mm. individually and in our relationship is our shared faith. So I think that's something that is core to us and that we just it's a good thing to understand about us and where we're coming from is that we we kind of anchor our value on our creation like we, we believe in a creator God. Yeah. Um, and that's partly what uh, attracted us to each other. We shared that foundational mm -hmm. faith. And it's partly what keeps us together because it's a shared purpose. We kind of tie our decisions into that into that faith, into what we, we think God wants us to do. Yeah. And then that frees us up to respond differently. I, th I think about kind of the 
how are we made or what are we made for? If we're meaning making beings, then we're, we're made, we're made for that in relationship to make sense of it. And my relationship with you is a function of understanding who I am and who you are created in a bigger meaning making system Mm -hmm. than just you do something for me and make me (laughs) feel all the feels. Right. Right. So that's the, that's the individual kind of meaning making and, and what we anchor into about our life's purpose. But then that really leads into what's in our relationships. It really helps to have a shared meaning, shared, Mm. some kind of shared purpose. Um, So, you know, in a lot of what we're talking about in this podcast, we're focusing on relationships and Life transitions, which are usually difficult times, like getting into a relationship, getting out of a relationship can be challenging. So it helps to to have a shared meaning with the people that you're trying to relate to, a shared, you know, yeah. a commonality. Yeah, it's really that isolation and not having a, a relational community to do that with. Or if you don't have shared meaning together, it makes little strains huge highlighted the division grand canyons yeah so some i mean some examples of of things that unite people in this life are you know uh having a a favorite band that you you follow the concerts together I, i find it fascinating that people of all sorts of walks of life can come together for a concert and have this shared interest that yeah. unites them people for all over all different ages and um, backgrounds and yeah we were we were talking about that because I'm not a music person so I don't understand the concert scene but I think as we were talking you helped me understand that it's it's not uh, just the music like I can listen on my headphones on my my phone or on my computer I can listen to music why do I have to go to a concert uh, I can hear it whenever I want, wherever I want. And you were, you were highlighting it's, it's different cause it's a unique expression of that music. It's a one time only and it'll never happen again exactly that way. And then you're so it's in a, a shared experience yeah, that unites others. people. Yeah. That really brings a lot of people together over a shared purpose. But the, the problem is they leave then what's our, what's our shared meaning yeah. together? Well, I think lots of times shared meanings are seasonal, so I have a story now. Okay. All right. What's your story? <laughs> uh, so this is a weird thing about me. Uh-oh. Um, <laughs> you're going to go there with all these listeners? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, when our kids were in middle school, one of the things that most people dread is going to a middle school concert, oh, especially band. But yeah. orchestra, our kids were in orchestra. And I mean, uh, just the, like it's cats. not a joyful noise. <laughs> no, cats with rocking chairs. So our kids all played in the orchestra at some point in time. Um, we had a great orchestra program in our public school system. So going to those concerts sometimes was not everybody's favorite thing to do on, you know, a, a Thursday night or whenever they held them. But honestly, yeah. well, can strain- we just kind of go yeah. back to that yeah. of like you want to paint the picture. Yeah. The so you walk into the gym it already smells school. like junior high. It smells like fear, BO, <laughs> and development. And then you get on a, a bench, right? I wooden mean, risers. Wooden the, risers, yeah, the bleachers. basketball bleachers, mm-hmm. because all the old people no backs. got to sit in the special chairs, like real chairs, the folding, folding chairs. metal chairs. Yeah, yeah, but those were comfortable <laughs> compared to the bleachers. Yeah. And then you'd sit through sixth grade, seventh grade eighth grade and, and then combined. They'd be combined uh-huh. and occasionally they bring the band in to play all together. Right. It could be a good hour and a half, two hours. Oh, at least. Yeah. But this is the weird part. Yeah. I always got teary at some point. No, because of the pain. 
No, because oh. <laughs> so this is where it comes into shared purpose. All these kids, you know, middle school, they are all at strange and different times of growth. And, yeah. you know, some are tall, some are short. They're all shapes and sizes. They're going through weird stuff. And you know them individually. Some of these kids you've, you've known since preschool. And they're all, you know, going different directions. But it, on this one night... They're all dressed in their in their black and whites, and they're making music together. Yeah, and they have a shared purpose, and it yeah. brings them all together. And they're playing different parts and playing different instruments in the same piece of music. And at some moment, it always moved me. Yeah, because it's a, it's just seeing what's possible. I think. Oh, and I think that's the that's touching on that deep human nature part individually, but as a as a group, like there's purpose here. It might not be great product, mm -hmm. but there's something beautiful <laughs> about the process. Right. And, and that's a hard, that's a hard shift sometimes. Cause I think culturally here in the States, we tend to focus on outcome of like, what is the music beautiful? Did they play well? Did my child do well? Well, and we're a bit more individualistic about our own performance yeah. um, than then some the, cultures that are more about the whole and about the coming together. So yeah. I um I think it's a good thing to think about when you're in a relationship is what what is our shared purpose together because that can either bind you or can remind you that maybe this relationship needs to end. Sometimes yeah. there isn't a shared purpose anymore. Um so yeah, or having to look at the like you were saying the season of shared purpose, and that's the upside of being able to find commonalities that we can work together and enjoy being together. But then there's the downside of that. Right. I mean, when we attach too much value to that shared purpose, yeah. I think that's the, the part that can make it harder for people when that time ends. You know, um, another example is a sports team. Our kids all played sports as well. And, you know, a high school football team. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I yeah. get it. Well, and that's what united us with a lot of our friends. It's It's kind of interesting to think about friendships sometimes being situational that way when you have a shared focus. Mm -hmm. So we made a lot of friends sitting on sidelines of our kids' sports teams, and you think you'll be friends for life. You you spend so many hours together sitting <laughs> in the rain and the sun the and cold. the cold yeah. and and um, cheering on, watching kids painful, do well or not well. Painful experiences <laughs> together. Yeah, so you share some highs and lows and, and feel like you'll be friends forever. But then the strange thing that usually happens is once the kids leave that team or they they graduate from school, those friendships often don't continue because there there isn't a, another shared meaning. Yeah, it's not because you don't like those people or kind of feelings have changed, but the pro the reason for proximity has gone away. Mm -hmm. That we're no longer in the same place at the same time, and it takes a lot more intentionality. So you might have seasons where there'll be uh, times when you're deeply connected because there's a meaning to kind of revolve around, and then something fades away and the relationship fades away. Yeah, and you usually feel sad when those relationships pass, but I think it's a normal part of human relationships that there are seasons where yeah. we're together, we're tied together by some shared purpose, and sometimes that passes. And it's it's a fond memory, but not a continued relationship. 
Yeah, and I think this applies not just to individual meaning making or um, couple meaning making or small group, but even large organizations, whether it's a church or a business. um, I know uh, we're both going through seasons in different organizations we're in of writing mission statements and looking at vision statements. And really that's a meaning, a shared meaning that we're trying to look at and say, if we're going to be part of this group, here's what's going to join us and connect us. Mm-hmm. It gives you a common purpose. Yeah. And it, it's good for us, like an employment place. It's going to, I want to make money. I want to uh, flourish professionally. But there's also the mission of the institution that we're part of or the business that we're a part of that kind of brings us all together to do that. So it's kind of a both end. It meets the individual need and the and the greater good. Right. I think it's a great tip for young families, too. I think it's a really cool thing for a young family to sit down and not necessarily a formal vision statement of, you know, what (laughs) we want to accomplish as a family, but everybody feels um, more connected to something that has a purpose. And even a family, even a family of, you know, just a couple having some sort of um, shared guiding principle is, is a fun thing to think about. And I tell people when they're having a baby, sometimes that's their kind of pivotal point of realizing we are our own unit. We're no yeah. longer tied into our parents' way of doing things. We can create our own new vision and our own new meaning and um, way of doing things. So it's a good time to think about what is important to me, what is important to us together, and how do we want to do that together? How do we want to be known as a unit? And people really, I think, do better when they feel tied into something that's bigger than just their own yeah, purpose. It, it makes me wonder about, so we're talking about family and other things, but I wonder about just roommates or you find uh, someone to live with, whether it's a college dorm or um, given the financial nature of things, finding someone to rent a room in their home or um, like this isn't necessarily a conversation or a thought process. There's certain areas where it's more natural to mm-hmm. look at shared meaning. Um, and I just, it makes me wonder as we're talking about this, how that could be helpful in navigating maybe other types of relationship that there doesn't seem to be as natural a a meaning making or a shared. Yeah. We like to find our commonalities. And I think that's, that's important for humans, especially at this time. I feel like, like we mentioned before, divisions are highlighted. Yeah. And when it comes down to it, I think most of us have the same general desires in life. We want to do well. We want our families to be safe And so highlighting those commonalities can help keep Mm -hmm. us more together instead of divided. Yeah, like the core pieces, because there's going to be differences. I know we've had... The how are are the tricky parts. That's where we are of what's core and then what's, uh, what are the things that we'll disagree on, but that aren't the the center of the meaning making that keeps us connected. Yeah. So not a light topic, but thanks for listening. And... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, hopefully you'll come Thinking back. Thinking about why you exist. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and if you didn't have a little meaning, hopefully you had a little fun. Yeah, thanks so much. See ya. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. We invite you to visit our show notes page and website for more resources and information. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and share with your friends. That would be a huge favor to us. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye.